Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 171 of the podcast that was originally recorded on July 23rd of 2017. Only played a couple of games this week, but they are some good games and I talked about them quite a bit. Champions of Midgard, The Dark Mountains, and Valhalla, the new expansions that were just released from Kickstarter, I was able to sit down and play a five-player game of this. Wow, that was a crazy game. My wife and I have also got the Godfather Corleone's Empire to the table multiple times, and we've been playing the hell out of this game and having a lot of fun with it. I've played with five players now and two players, and it is playing great at both numbers. Can't wait to get this one to the table again. I'll talk about a few things that I want to play. Enjoy the episode. Hey gamers, welcome to the games. This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. Thanks for joining me. We're on episode 171 of the podcast. As always, you can send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We do have a guild over there, guild number 2440. What I'm playing now is our name there. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram now at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say in that. On Facebook, just do a search for what I'm playing now. And our Twitch page is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. All right, everybody, we're going to do a nice short podcast this week for you. I've actually been working quite a bit on the website, um, although you may not be able to tell because I've been working on a lot of video stuff. Um, we've actually gotten in a few smaller pieces of equipment, basically um, something that will allow us to do some overhead camera shooting of the game board, which I think might work a little bit better for unboxings as well as doing some game playthroughs which my wife and I have been testing out some of the equipment and a setup as far as how we like it shot. I also got another little tripod for the webcam so the webcam doesn't have to sit on top of the laptop like we have been using it um, during our test so far. So we're trying to make the video quality a little bit better and I have a feeling we have something that is going to be actually pretty usable here. And hopefully we're going to be able to get a nice twice a week Twitch stream going here. And we will publish the days that we will be doing that here, probably in the upcoming week. So we've been working quite a bit actually for this past week, couple of weeks actually, in trying to get all of our equipment in order, make sure we have the right software, hardware, and everything, just to try to get this stuff to look just a little bit better than what we were originally planning on doing. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also thinking and doing some research in regarding to moving the podcast RSS feed, which I'm currently using FeedBurner for from Google. And I've heard it's been slated for the past couple of years that this thing is going to go away. And I've been doing a lot of research on Squarespace as that's who's the company who hosts my website in particular, what I'm playing now.com. And it seems like they've actually updated quite a bit of their RSS information on Squarespace recently and some of the information that I've been reading about. So I'm actually just thinking about moving over to having Squarespace host some of this stuff. And I will be republishing that possibly within the next three to four weeks or so. I'm definitely going to take some time to sit down and read this. I may play around with this. I do have a test website on Squarespace uh, and I'm going to play around with it on there. Make sure I can get this all set up and working on my test website first and then move it over to what I'm playing now. So just keep in mind in the next month or so, if you do not, if you are currently subscribed to our downloads, it will be changing possibly. And I will be publishing all of that information when the time comes. But until then, that is enough of a whipping update here. Let's jump into what I'm playing now. Uh, I did make it down to my local game store this past week. Uh, I picked up a couple of 
games while I was down there. One of the things that we played on our normal Thursday meetup was Champions of Midgard. We actually played with the two expansions that were just um, released from Kickstarter, the Dark Mountains and Valhalla. Uh, my buddy Dave actually kickstarted these, and I've talked about um, Champions of Midgard before a couple of times. The first time I played it, I wasn't real hot on the game, and the second time I played it, I did actually enjoy myself, even though, as we all know, dice hate me. I still really enjoy the game. I thought it was a lot better than when I played the first time. I think the first time when I played the game, I don't really think that the game was taught properly to me. And the second time, my buddy Dave actually taught it. And it definitely just seemed like it was a much different game and it played much better. Uh, even though dice still hate me and I really did, I really never roll good. I'm completely fine with that. Um, I think that's some of the reasons why I tend to gravitate more towards euros that avoid dice. But every now and then I still do like dice in my game because it's just it's just nice to roll dice. I mean, growing up, you know, in the 70s and 80s, that's pretty much all what all the games are. All the games had dice. Everything was based around dice back then, it seems. Um, but, you know, I definitely do like the strategy of the euros and stuff. So this has a nice mixture of both of those. Uh, you are doing some worker placement. You have dice that you're going to be doing your attacking. But what does the Mountains and Valhalla add? So you're going to be adding in several new dice. Each player is going to get a leader die, which is a blue die. There is a horn on two sides, kind of like a horned helmet. And when you roll this, you will be able to use your leader special ability. There's also going to be, I believe, a berserker and um, another type of warrior, which is the yellow die. Uh, one of the interesting things about the yellow die is it has both a damage attack on one side and a shield together overlapping each other. So you can actually block and block up damage and do some damage with just one die, which is really interesting and kind of cool the way they expanded that. The neat thing about the pink berserkers, and I think it's really funny that they made the berserkers pink, uh, which does not seem like a berserker type color to me, but um, I don't know why they chose that color. But hey, we're fine with that. When you're in combat and you do lose some of your dice, the Berserkers are the first dice or the first, you know, is the first type of die that you need to get rid of and kill off, mainly because the Berserkers are going to be the one that are running into battle. They're going to be the first ones to die. Very thematic, I think. I think that was a really good thought process that they added into that to, to really give that a little bit of thematic feeling there that, you know, the Berserkers are crazy. They're going to be the ones running headfirst, and they're probably going to be the ones that are going to bite the dust first. So that's why those are going to go away first. Now, what else does the game add? The game adds in a bunch of other cards. Um, it adds in new leaders that everybody's going to be able to utilize throughout the game. And I think we were playing a five-player game. It does expand the game to five players, which is kind of cool. Uh, the game did play a little bit longer at five players. I'm not too sure how many more times I'd want to play at five. I think four is probably going to be the sweet spot for me. Playing as five worked fine. It was just pretty much the only game we did get in that evening. But then again, there were several new people at the table who had not played the game before. With new people learning it, with the expansion and everything, that might have extended it a little bit. So I might have to play it with five people again who actually know the game to see if it actually speeds it up a little bit more. So we'll have to see about that one. But some of the other new things that are going to be added to the board or to the game, I guess I should say, is there's a new board where you're going to be getting green archers. It's a whole separate board that has uh, monsters on there, and you're going to be able to assign dice to them, and you can never assign green archer dice when you're fighting these creatures, and when you defeat them, you're going to be able to get archers as a reward. The archers will give you some additional 
food, I believe, uh, if you roll them during um, when you have somebody on the hunting grounds, they will give you additional food during that roll. So there's a lot of different dice now that are adding in doing some different things. But one of the other big things that they added to the board, and I think this is probably one of the biggest parts for me that really rounds out the game and makes this game perfect, is there is a separate board where you're going to have cards. The currency for these cards are going to be little chits. The chits will match all of the different dice that are in the game. So you have your white dice, which are your swordsmen, your red dice, which are your staff players or the spear guys, I mean. You have the green dice, which are, you know, a green chit to match the archers, the pink chit to match, you know, the berserkers, a chit to match all of the different dice now that are in the game, except your blue leader. There are no blue chits because when your leader dies, you're going to set him off to the side, but you can bring him back with those cards on that separate tableau uh, if one of those cards is, just happens to be out. But let's get back to these chits and everything. So what happens is when you're playing the game and one of your dice or one of your die happens to die you will actually get the chit of that color for the die and you will be able to set set those on your tableau and collect those. After any combat, you can then turn these little chits in to actually purchase one of those cards. So this is a big change to the game because you're actually getting something for allowing your dice and your, your, your fighters to actually perish in combat. You're going to be getting a type of currency. The currency can be spent to actually give you possibly more dice, bring your leader back from the dead, or do other various things. So it definitely changes the way the game is played. Because before when your warriors died, when your spearmen died, they were pretty much just off the table. And next round, you were just trying to collect more dice to actually do for the next battle. You are still doing that, but now you have to think, when you're allowing your your warriors to die, which colored chits do you actually need? Because what cards are out on the table that you want to purchase? Because some of them may just be one color and then maybe a question mark, which is any other, you know, any other sort of chit. Some of them are one of each of the different colors, maybe four different colors, and then two random, you know, two two, you know, miscellaneous ones or two question mark ones, which lets you put down whatever you want for those. So there's a lot of strategy and thinking, you know, when you're rolling your dice, what color chits do I need? What type of currency do I need? Because what cards do I want to purchase? What cards are going to benefit me as I'm playing the game? So it definitely adds quite a bit of thinking and strategy to the game because now not only do you need to think, I'm sending my players out to battle, they are going to die, but who do I want to die? You know, I, I mean, I you have to kill off your berserkers first if you have any of those. So that's a pretty much a no-brainer. But then after that, you really need to pay attention to the cards that are on the table and what you're trying to collect. And there were people there that were sitting there with a big pile of chits because some of them were just maybe waiting for the right card or maybe they were just hesitant and really were waiting for maybe their leader to die so they can bring them back. So there's a lot of strategy as far as collecting them, when to use them, getting the right card out on the table. So I really think that the, both the expansions, the Dark Mountains, the Valhalla, we played with both of them all at once. Everything was on the table. Very big game. Complete. It was. It was. It took up a table and a half. I'd say easily at my local game store. But a hell of a lot of fun. I definitely think it made Champions of Midgard just a better game by the stuff that was added to it. And that's a good thing because sometimes not all expansions, you know, really make the game that much better. They add some new cool things on there. But, you know, I do have to say that both of these expansions did 
up my you know likelihood of wanting to play Champions of Midgard again and my enjoyment of the game by some of the different strategies and different thinking I had to do while playing. So that's Champions of Midgard, the Dark Mountains, and Valhalla. Definitely try to get this one to the table and check it out. I don't know when these expansions are hitting retail. I should have looked that up on Board Game Week. I forgot to. But um, if you did kickstart these, you should have them. And I'm sure a lot of people are playing with them just like we did this past week. Other than that, we got one other game to the table this past week. And my wife and I have been playing this one quite a bit. And that is the Godfather Corleone's Empire. I actually uh, played this at Origins. I played a five-player game. I wrote up a little write-up about it, and I have been really looking forward to this game. I was very hesitant as far as how this was going to play with two players, considering it played very good with five players. I know some other games like this, maybe like Blood Rage and some other games that have uh, play better at larger player counts, don't always necessarily play too good at maybe two players. And I will say my wife and I have played this game multiple times over the past week, over the weekend. I think we got two games alone in of this yesterday. The more we play this, the more we're finding out this game actually does work well with two players. And there were some people down at the game store saying they never want to play this as two players. It's not going to play good as two players. I would say they are completely wrong. They haven't played it yet at two players. I think one of the things that makes this game succeed at two players is the resources that are on the board by default. You have different turfs on the board, and within those turfs, you have different businesses. Each different business on the main board has a different resource on it. So there's pretty much only one resource available on the board in a turf at a time. So if I'm looking to get guns, there's pretty much only one business on the board at the beginning of the game that has guns on it. So if I'm drawing cards with guns and I need to be able to complete these jobs to try to suitcase these jobs for points at the end of the game, I'm going to want to try to hit that turf and hit that business first. So the game is going to play different every time because my cards in my hand at the beginning of the game are going to be different. You can't necessarily try to go with, I'm going to go with a strategy of going all yellow cards. Because the funny thing is, the more my wife and I play this, the more we've noticed one of the colored cards that we've been ignoring quite a bit are the blue cards. For some reason, neither of us really plays a lot of blue cards. I mean, we do play a lot of the gray cards, which definitely seem to be the cards where we're killing each other. Uh, we play a lot of the green and yellow cards as well. But for some reason, we've only each played a couple of blue cards here or there during our games. Not really too sure why. I do see a lot of blue cards in the discard pile. And yesterday we actually played a game where we actually tied and it came down to who had the most turf control at the end of the game to decide the winner, which my wife did win. She had four. I had three turfs controlled. And we just sat there and we were like, wow, that could have been one of the best games we've recently played because it was so tight of a game. It literally came down to a tie with us having the bowl score. And it came down to who controlled the most turfs, which is one of the things you're trying to do in the game because you're trying to get some end game points that way as well. So I guess we should start off part of this conversation with going through some of the different things you're doing in this game and kind of how the game is played, and then we'll get into some more thoughts on it after that. So let's jump into 
I'm not going to go through the setup. Let's jump into some of the different phases of each act. The game consists of four different acts, and during these acts, you have a different hand size you're going to have with your cards. You're also going to have additional workers, be it family members or thugs, that are going to come into play during acts two and four. There's also going to be allies, which are going to be able to recruit during the end of the first, second, and third rounds, or acts, I should say. There is a phase where you're actually bidding for the allies to get into come into your hands, which actually count for your hand size. So you definitely have to pay attention to that. But let's go through some of the different phases of each act. So the first thing you're going to do after you get the whole board game set up and everybody's dealt out all of their cards, everybody starts out with a $1, $2, and a $3 denomination of money. And an interesting thing in this game is once a stack of money runs out, if you are supposed to get, let's say, threes and the threes are out, and let's say a card, you finish a job and it says you get a $3 bill. If the threes run out during the game, you can take a $2 bill, but you can't take a two and a one. You can never take or change, exchange, I guess you could say, money for a different denomination. If something says you need to take a five, you take a five. If there are no fives, you can take a lower denomination of money. But you only get that denomination of money. You don't get to take the additional extra money. So if I was supposed to take a five, I can only take a three. I don't get to take a three and a two to total up to the five. You only get the three. So really interesting thing with this game in that the number and the money that you take is very specific. So definitely pay attention to that when you're playing the game. Um, you're also going to start with a couple of jobs in your hand. And you're going to start out in our two-player games. We start out with a family member. And uh, three thugs, I think it is. Normally, you start off with it. Um, I think it's two and two. Um, but in a two-player game, the, it does change it just a little bit. So you start out with the family's Don figure, which is the which is a family member, and then three thugs in the two-player game. So the first thing you're going to do at the beginning of the game, the first thing um, of the first phase of an act is going to be to open a new business. There are two different stacks of businesses. There are blue and red. During the first two acts of the game, you're going to flip over blue businesses. During the third and fourth act of the game, you're going to flip over red businesses. So in that first round, you're flipping over a blue business, and you're going to set that in the first open business area on the board in the lowest number turf. So in our two-player game, we're setting that in one, in the number one turf area, because there are seven different turfs that are named kind of, they're almost circular, but when you get up to the top for three and four, they're kind of flipped around. Not too sure why they did that. But it's kind of interesting. If you look at the board game, you'll actually notice what I'm talking about there. Uh, but you're going to place that, biz that business on the table. And then after that, it's the family business phase, which is the main meat and potatoes part of the game. Because this is where you're going to be doing a majority of your worker placement, as well as finishing jobs and everything. So on your turn, you can play a thug on one of the square spaces. This lets you basically do a shakedown action on the front of the business. You're essentially going to get resources or possibly be able to suitcase some money into your suitcase. Uh, you can also play a family member. Family members are placed in these circular uh, locations on the board. These locations are usually in between turf areas, so they give you back-of-the-house actions, business actions, on multiple locations that that circular figure is actually adjacent to. And when you look at an actual business, you'll see that there's kind of a top and a bottom to it. The bottom is the front-of-the-house action. The top is the back-of-the-house action. You can also complete a job from your hand. You're going to discard the appropriate number of resources off into the piles. You'll be able to complete the job. You can do the action and take money. These 
action, the, the action and the money can be done in whatever order you like. So if you want to take the money first and then complete the action, go ahead and do that. If you want to do the action first and then take the money, you're allowed to do it either way, it says in the rule book. So that is definitely something that's important to keep in mind when playing, that those actions can be done in either order. One of the other things you could do is you can play an ally. If you were able to bid on an ally during the uh, bribery route, bribery phase, which we're going to get here to shortly, if you have an ally in your hand, you can place that ally down. You will get to do its action. Some of the allies let you control some additional players that are neutral on the board, the police cop, the mayor. And some of them will just possibly give you money. Or there was, I think, an accountant my wife had yesterday, which let her just utilize and do two suitcase actions and just throw some money in her to her suitcase, which is just adding to her endgame score, which is what you're trying to do in this game. After the family business phase is all over with, and what you want to do is you want to watch out when placing your workers on the board. Because once you place your last thug or family member and you have no workers left to do... You have to pass after that. You can no longer take any actions. So if there are any jobs, if there are any allies in your hand, you want to make sure that you get rid of all of those things first before you actually play your last thug or family member, your last actual figure. Because once you do that, your turn is over. No other actions are allowed by you as a player. The next thing you do after that is turf war. This is where you're going to go around the board. Like I said, all turfs are numbered from one to seven. You're going to look to see who has the most influence. And that is basically just who has the most colored figures in a particular area. This is where those family members, which are in adjacent areas, are going to be very important because they can actually affect three possible different turfs at one time, depending on where you're putting some of them. Your thugs that you have in the different businesses, you'll add up the total. Whoever has the most will be the winner. And then you can put a control marker on there, which will get you some additional bonuses later on in the game. So what the bonus that you get is, if you are controlling an area and your control marker is on top of that stack, when a thug does a front of the house action and an opponent does a thug front of the house action, they get the resource, you get the same resource as well. This could be very powerful because you are getting stuff off of your turn and it just could be very beneficial to collecting resources in this game because that's pretty much the name of the game, trying to collect as much as you can. So you're going to go around the board in, in numerical order, one, two, one through seven, see who has the control in each area, put the control token on there. If you run out of control markers on your turn, Later on in the round, let's say that I used up all of mine, you know, mine are on like one through four because I've won those multiple times. So I have stacks of them there and I finally get to seven. Nobody has a control marker on seven. I can actually move the top of one of my control markers from another turf that I control to that number seven area. So I now have control of that one as well. But the reason why you may not want to do this is at the end of the game, you're going to get a bonus for having the most control markers in a particular area. So let's say my wife and I, if we're tied in an area, let's say in turf four, she had a control marker and then I had one on top. And now it comes around to, you know, maybe turf seven and I don't have any there and nobody has any there. You know, I may not want to move the top of that number four area because if I do, 
I'm going to give that area to my wife. Whereas right now with us each having one control marker there, we're tied. Nobody's going to get a bonus there. So it would be a wash if I actually moved because if the game ended the next round with each of us having a control marker there, we would each get $5 because that's the bonus that you get for having the most control markers at the end of the game in a turf. You do get five extra dollars. So it would be kind of a wash there. So that would be a decision I would have to make whether I kind of want to sit there and maybe go for turf number seven in the last round or whether I try to want to just make sure my wife doesn't get area of control four, like I was just mentioning by her possibly placing something in the next round there on top. So a lot of decisions you're going to have to make with those control markers because they are limited. And let me tell you, you will run out of them. I would be very surprised if towards that final act, if you aren't having to shift some things around. My wife actually did that in one of the last games we played where she moved a couple of control markers around where she had total control in an area. And by her moving one on one off of each of these two turfs, it didn't affect her. She was still able to get the $5 on those as well as get as a couple of additional $5 on some other turfs or block me. I think she did one time and tie me to where neither of us got the $5. A lot of strategy in the control area part of this game, which is just a hell of a lot of fun. After the bribery phase where you're, or that was the turf war, and then we got the bribery phase. And the bribery phase is where you're going to try to go for those ally cards. You're going to sit there and look through your suitcase and all of the money that you suitcased, you can then spend if you want to purchasing the ally that is face up on the table. In a two-player game, there's only one ally. If neither player bids on it, no player gets it. If one player bids a dollar and the other player doesn't bid anything, the other player, the player who bid a dollar gets it for one dollar and gets to put that into their hand. You do have to bid something to get one of these allies. You never get an ally for free. So that is definitely something to keep in mind. Even if nobody bids, you normally go around and turn order to see who can win it. But somebody does have to bid to actually be able to take the card. Nothing is ever given for free in this game. That's not the way the Godfather works. After the bribery phase and you figure out who's going to win that, uh, if you, okay, let's say, let's say there's a tie. I guess we should jump back here a second. I'm remembering a few other rules here that I want to kind of throw out just so people don't get stumbled up on this. Let's say there's a tie. The player whose turn it is, you know, the player who's first in turn order will get to, you know, win that and they set their money aside. If you lose, your money just goes right back into the suitcase. So by bidding, you don't necessarily lose anything. You only have something to gain. So if you do lose the bid, the money just goes right back into the suitcase and it doesn't get set out of the game and you don't lose that money. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there so people know that as well. So after that, you have the tribute to the Don phase. This is where you have to go down to the hand size for the next act. Uh, I believe for Act 2, I think it's five cards, might be six. I think it's five, six. I can't remember what the actual numbers are for the different rounds, but it says right there on the board. So you just have to make sure that your hand size goes down to that. If you did pick up an ally, that ally is part of your hand size, and you need to take that into account. Going into the Act 4 of the game, the last act, you have to go down to two cards, and that is extremely difficult because if you have a couple of allies in your hand and you maybe want to hold on to a good job or a resource that you have, that you may want to try to, you know, get right off the bat, or if you have a $5 bill in your hand or a couple, you may not want to discard that money because that money is victory points at the end of the game that you want to try to suitcase. So there's a lot of decisions during that last act of the round when it comes to the tribute to the Don phase, and you do have to go down to the hand size. After that, they have the Entracte phase. This is basically a phase that they don't even put on the board. This is just kind of where you're doing a little cleanup. You're going to take all of your players back from the board. You're going to advance um, Don Corleone himself down to the next act. 
you're going to put um, any new figures that you're able to get into your pool of workers. You could actually, re you will replenish any public jobs that are out on the board because those do not get replenished once they're used. They get replenished during this phase and you actually flip over the next ally to see which the next ally is. Then you pretty much rinse and repeat. You're going to do all of those phases four times, which kind of constitute the game. Although in the last act, there is really no bribery and tribute to the Don. Since there are, since there are going, like during our three-player game, there's going to be allies available at the end of the first, second, and third um, acts. There is no ally that you're going to be able to use at the end of the fourth act, so there is no bribery phase during that last act. Also, during the act four, there really is no tribute to the Don. You're going to sit there and look at your hand, and one of the things you definitely need to keep in mind during that last act is you ne don't necessarily need to do to suitcase all of your money because at the end of the at the end of the act there you're going to get to discard any resources or jobs from your hand and set those aside any money you actually have in your hand get suitcased for free definitely something to pay attention to at the end of the game because my wife and I have noticed during that last act we try to tend to stay away from the actual suitcasing actions whereas the first three acts of the game you're trying to get those and get as much suitcase actions going as possible at the end of the game you're going to look at all of the money you've accumulated look at your jobs the jobs are for set collection there's gray green yellow and blue jobs the person who has the most of any particular color of jobs is going to get five bucks you're going to go around the board for turf control whoever has the most control markers in a particular turf will get five additional dollars you're totaling all your money up, and who wins the game? The person with the most money, of course. And that is pretty much a high-level overview of how you're going to play the Godfather Corleone's Empire. And let me tell you, like I said, my wife and I are really enjoying this as a two-player game. After playing Blood Rage, I was very, very hesitant at how, and, and scared, really, to play this with two players. And after the first two games, I was just like... We were looking at each other like, this plays really good with two players. There is a lot of interaction. I think there's enough spots of the board that are not utilized by two players that you're really on top of each other and you're really fighting for the areas right off the bat, which in Blood Rage, I didn't feel. In Blood Rage, it just seemed like there was nothing forcing combat. In this game, you're wanting combat. You're wanting that area control. You're wanting to get your control marker into the different turfs, and you're wanting to make sure that your opponent's figures are in the river because that's where they go when you kill them. That's it, people. I'm having a great time with the Godfather Corleone's Empire. So far, this is definitely one of my top games of the year. I'm very surprised. I was hoping that this would be a good game, and it really turned out that the replayability is there, the different businesses that come out really make you play the game different each time. The jobs that you have in your hand at the start of the game really make you take a different strategic plan and view at the beginning of each game. And so far, we haven't noticed that we're not really rinsing and repeating and doing the same things over and over again. You know, we're noticing that every time we play, okay, there's a new business. Now we've seen that business maybe in another game, but you know what? It's in a different turf. So that means it's in a different area. That means I'm not going to be possibly using it the same as I did last game because, one, maybe I don't need those resources. Two, maybe I don't want to control that turf because I don't like some of the other resources that are giving it, and I'm not really going for that area of the board. We've noticed that over the games that we've played, we're really using the board differently in each game. 
The one game we played, we were using a lot of the more southern part of the turfs. We were really clumped up down there, and that is where a lot of our control markers were. Another game we played, we were spread out. We noticed that we were using all of the turfs. We had Each of us had all of our control markers pretty much on the board in stacks. We were moving them around at the end of the game, and it was just really hectic trying to figure out who was going to win control over the different areas because we just had so much going on, and we were just completely spread out. Other games were fighting for maybe one or two particular turfs, mainly because of the resources that are there. And it could, there might only be that one turf has that particular resource and we both want it due to the jobs we have in our hands. There was one game where we played where the public jobs that were on the board, neither of us were really interested in them. And they don't go away at the end of the round. The only time those get replenished is when somebody utilizes one during that phase where you're kind of cleaning everything up, you will put a new job out. The cards in that particular game where we weren't utilizing them pretty much stayed there the whole game, which was really different. It was just something that, you know, we kind of just looked at each other and laughed and like, you know, are you going to buy one of these? And we're looking at each other like, no, I don't want either of those cards. And we just kept going to the spaces where we could get new jobs and try to choose and draw what we get rather than go with what was out there just to go with that. So a lot of thinking in this game, great mixture of a lot of different things, worker placement, area control, set collection, quite a bit of different mechanics going on in this game, and they all meld together nicely. And I think there is quite a bit of theme with the Godfather with a lot of the different cards, a lot of the different actions, being able to utilize the allies, which could give you a quick bump by being able to purchase them. But you need to watch because... You know, in your bidding, there was one time where I didn't want one of the cards and my wife really did, and I think she bid like five, and I didn't bid anything. Then there was another round where I bid like one, and she didn't bid anything, so I got a pretty decent card for just a dollar. So it's it's a bluffing game as well. You got to figure out what are my opponents doing? What are they going for? How bad do they possibly want this action that this additional card may give them? So Godfather, Corleone's Empire, very good game. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a playthrough, and we'll be getting that up on our YouTube page here shortly, so just watch out for that. Other than that, let's talk about a few things that I want to play. One of the games that I picked up at my local game store this past week, The Fox in the Forest, this is a two-player trick-taking game from Renegade Game Studios. Uh, I played this one at Origins. It's a little game that consists of, I think it's about 33 cards. The odd-numbered cards actually have different actions on them that you're going to be able to utilize during the game when you're playing them. There's also a chart based on how many tricks you're taking during the game on how many points you get. If you take too many tricks, you may not get any points. If you don't take enough tricks, you may not get any points, or you may get less than your opponent. So there's a nice little chart that tells you at the end of a round, you know, who's scoring what points based on how many tricks you've taken. It's not necessarily taking the most amount of tricks. It's taking the right number of amount of tricks. So that's where this game really is challenging because you really want to be in that sweet spot to get the most points. And what you're trying to do is you're playing to 21 points. So you're going to play through several rounds of this game possibly uh, to see who can actually get to that 21 points. Try to get there first. Very fun game. The art on the cards is really nice. My wife and I haven't had a chance to play this yet. We watched a video. I think we watched um, Game Boy Geek um, do his instructional video on it, which was really good. So we were 
the, the game seems pretty simple. It doesn't seem that difficult, but it was a nice two-player trick-taking game that I played at Origins, and I had a really good time with it, so it was why I wanted to pick it up immediately, and we'll probably do a playthrough for that one as well. Other than that, one of the other games that I noticed on Board Game Geek that I was reading about is a game called Custom Heroes. This was from AEG. This one sounds like it almost has the same type of card-building mechanic that is in Mystic Veil, so I'm really interested to see what this game is about and what this game contains as it looks to be pretty interesting and cool. I think the art looks cool. The game design looks rather interesting. So I'm going to be paying attention to this one and reading a little bit more about that one. And that one is Custom Hero. Other than that, I think that's it for this podcast. I need to get downstairs, start recording some videos so we can get some things up to our YouTube page. Thank you for joining me for another podcast. As always, send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to what I'm playing now at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild over there. Guild number 2440 is the number. On Twitter and Instagram, at what I'm playing now is our name there. Don't forget to drop that G like I always say on Facebook. Just do a search for what I'm playing now. And as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me for episode 171. We'll be back next week with some more games played and a few things that I want to play. But until then, go play some games and then let me know what you're playing now. Until then, have a great week gaming, everybody. I will talk to you later. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.